I can't even begin to put in words how thankful I am that you've allowed me to sit at your table. And I recognize that it is, there's never been anything that I did that was good enough to allow me to be in your presence. And we all acknowledge that today. We just are not that good. So knowing the price that you paid for that gift and knowing that we're accepted, I pray that we would move forward into the freedom that you have so that we can discover the purpose of our existence that we can make a difference in the world around us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, this is, this is for everybody here, but I, I thought this morning as I was going over my notes, I especially want to talk to our students who are here because young people, if, if, um, if you get what I'm going to share today, uh, it will allow you to do things that you've never dreamed. And if you miss this, Satan will try everything he can to mess up your lives. But I believe with all of my heart that you can change the world around us. And so this, I, want you to, I want you to do your best to stay with me. I'm going to try to communicate the best way that I can that God wants you to change the world around you because of the freedom that you find from Satan. Because he hates you, he wants to destroy your lives, but we can kick his butt. That's, that's not in the notes. I don't know where that came from. Okay, write this down in your notes. Becoming a Christ follower does not mean the absence of temptation. Again, this is something I wish I had known when I was much younger because I thought temptation was sin. And we, we're going we're gonna to tear this apart a little bit. It doesn't mean the absence of temptation but becoming a Christ follower does mean that it's a declaration of war. It's a declaration of war. Now that I've talked about a lot with you. There is this battle, this spiritual battle of good and evil. And Satan is out to steal and kill and destroy you. He wants to do that in your lives. And so you cannot just haphazardly go through life and expect to be free. This is, an, this is a very aggressive situation that you've walked into. And the book of Joshua is, is so incredible at teaching us not only what we need to do, but why we need to do it and when we need to take care of these kinds of things. So as we got into the book of Joshua, it's, it's taken us three weeks to get through basically four chapters. And today, we're getting into the battle section, uh, which actually starts in chapter 6, and it runs all the way through to chapter 23. Now, we're not going to cover all of those. In fact, I'm only going to talk about battles that occurred in chapters 6, 7, 8, and 9. It's three different encounters, three different things that happen, and I've got these in your notes, and I want you to understand that these first three battles, and it's interesting, these three battles took amazing amount of ink in the book of Joshua. And then after that, there were like 30, 31, 32 kings that were decimated uh, in the land of Canaan in the next 10 chapters. So 
if something took that long, we need to look at it and find out what occurred. So here, here's what I want you to write down. Uh, number one, these are strategies of Satan that occurred in, in the book of Joshua, and they're the strategies that Satan will use to mess up your life. And so I want you to write this down, please. It's, the first one is the Battle of Jericho. We've all heard about it. We've even talked about it in here in relationship to the, to the, the shame issue and Rahab. Jericho. Here's the, here's the strategy. It's too strong. It's too strong. Let me explain what I'm talking about. When the Israelites crossed over the Jordan, the first thing they did was they sent out spies, and they, they looked at Jericho. And Jericho it was a city that was completely walled off. The walls were impregnable. You couldn't get through them. You couldn't do anything with them. And, and the thought was, it is too strong. When the two spies came back from, from spying out Jericho, they came back and they told Joshua, hey, these walls, there's, there's nothing we can do about them, but there is one thing that's in our advantage, and that is the people are afraid. They, they have a fear because they know what God has done in and through the Israelite nation. So the temptation is this. You have a problem, you have a temptation, you have a habit, you have an addiction, and your response is, this is too strong for me. And that is exactly what Satan wants you to think. It is exactly the lie that he wants you to buy. Because if you can start living with that thing that is too strong, I'll never get over it. I'm like this because, and you can just fill in all the blanks. Here's what happened. This happened. This took place. These walls are impregnable. If you believe that, Satan wins. We need to identify that as a strategy. Here's the second strategy. And it came out of a battle with a, a group of people in the city of Ai. Ai. It's just like it's, it's like it's written. And here's the strategy. Let's keep it a secret. Write that down. This is important. Let's keep it a secret. Here, this backfill on this story is that after the battle of Jericho, the Israelites are all pumped up. Hey, with God, we can go do anything. And so they just go off. Uh, and they see their next opponent is AI, and there's no walls there. Hey, we can go do this. And they take off running with their swords and, you know, doing all their stuff. And they, they got beaten, and beaten badly, and people died. And it was horrible. Uh, long story short, and you need to read these. In fact, if, if you need a place to start with your daily devotions, take the notes from the last three weeks. We have all this online. And, and, and just read through the book of Joshua. Because this stuff is pretty cool. And, and in this particular section of, of, of the battlefront uh, with AI, there, the deal was that the people were supposed to take the city and take all the spoils and, and just not... Um, well, no, let me back up a minute and get the story straight. When they went into, into Jericho, all the spoils from the war needed to be given to God. It was, it was a gift to God. But there was a guy, his name was Achan, who took some of the stuff himself and he hid it and he kept it a secret. He didn't tell anybody that he had some gold and some fine linen and things like that. They go to Ai and they lose this battle and Joshua's before God and, and God says, well, the reason you lost is because there's a secret here. There's some hidden stuff. 
I will tell you that is one of the biggest strategies that Satan has. Let's keep it a secret. Let's keep our mess a secret. Let's keep our addiction a secret. Let's keep our, our problem and our baggage and our bad patterns. Let's not tell anybody. We build a life many times centered around a secret. We put up a set of walls so people think something of us because it makes us look good, but in the center is a secret, this problem, this challenge, this fear, whatever it is. This can happen in very young in life, and it can happen as you get older. I, you know, I'm in my 60s, and it still happens. If you, if you have secrets, they'll destroy you. It's the second battle that Israel faced. I want you to understand why that's there. It has everything to do with this idea of if we keep secrets... If we hide sin, it will destroy everything around us. Eventually, the walls come tumbling down. It will mess up your family. It will mess up your finances. It will mess up your life. It's a secret. Here's the third one. This wasn't really a battle. This was just a, a shocker. It had to do with a group of people, Canaanites, called Gibeonites. And, and the deal was that... that Israel was supposed to go in and wipe out the enemy. In fact, God was going to take care of a lot of this himself because he was just going to assign pestilence to the country and it would just basically take the people out of the area. And, and um, there, were, there were supposed to be no agreements with anybody in the land. So these people, Gibeon, Gibeonites, they knew what was happening. They saw what was about to happen to them. They would be destroyed. And so as a, as a large community, as a whole city of people, they all dressed up like nomads, like poor nomads. And they, 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 it's, they, you, you could read it. They did so many things to mess up their clothes, mess, you know, to, to show that they, were, they had been traveling for years or, or months, whatever it was. And they, they basically walk into the camp of the Israelites and they, they traded themselves off as a group of people who were from another land and they just wanted to pass through and could, could we have an agreement? And Joshua wasn't, he didn't pray about it, didn't think about it. He just said, okay, we can do this. And, and so we'll make an agreement. And they said, good. And then they went back home, which was right over the mountain next door. When Joshua found out about it, he was so mad. He wanted to go destroy them, but he had given his word. He signed a contract. It was a done deal. They could not touch him. And he knew that he could not go back on this because God would hold him accountable. And so he didn't. And so they became their servants. And you could read through the history of the Old Testament. You find over and over what a big mistake that would be. But I want you to write this beside of Gibeon. I didn't see that coming. It was a surprise. It was a surprise. Whether it's something that's too strong, whether it's something that you're keeping a secret, or whether it's something that came out of nowhere, we always can find ourselves gripped by something that has more power than we have. It is bigger than us. And you think you might be able to handle it, but the best you can do is camouflage it. You think you might be able to get through this and apply some principles and make it go away, but the best you can do is cover it up and make it not look so bad. And you live there and you walk around in the wilderness for the rest of your life because you have not been set free 
from something that Satan has schemed to destroy your life. I want you to write this down. And I, I gave you this the very first week. Temptation. Now we're, talk, now we're moving to temptation because these, the, these three strategies are employed. The way they're all employed is through temptation. Temptation is anything that promises satisfaction at the cost of obedience to God. If you want to hear more about that, go back to week one. Um, let me tell you about something that um, I struggled with, it, kind of on the light side. Um, when I was younger, I met Lucky Charms. And I love Lucky Charms. I mean, I just loved them. And uh, for years, I would just, that's all I had for breakfast with two bowls of Lucky Charms. And you only have to eat Lucky Charms for so long, and you, you learn there's some ways to eat Lucky Charms. And so what I did is, you know, you get your bowl, and, and literally I've gone through a box of Lucky Charms in one sitting before. I, I, I've done it. You get your bowl, big bowl, and you fill it with Lucky Charms, and you pour on really cold milk. And then you quickly eat all of the brown part, the, the cereal part, and you let the marshmallows float in the milk. Now what happens is these marshmallows don't get soggy. They just get a little soft on the outside, but they keep their crunch on the inside. And you can get a whole pile of marshmallows floating around in the milk. And then at the end, you just eat them all at one time. It's like six bites of nothing but this soft, awesome taste. I still feel it. <laughs> it, it, is so, it is so good. Um, what broke the power of Lucky Charms for me was this. Somebody knew that I loved these things, and so they bought me a big bag of nothing but the marshmallows. And I ate them all one morning for breakfast. The whole thing. And I've never had Lucky Charms since that time. And I'm being dead serious. Now, you say, well, Greg, you, yeah, you were like 10 years old. No, I was 50. <laughs> this, this is a true story. I mean, you know, I'm going to read you some Lucky Charms facts. Um, Lucky Charms has its own website. And uh, if you go there, in fact, I went there this morning, and it says, Here's what they say. This made me sick again. Because we're giving away 10,000 boxes of only marshmallows. Find out how to be one of the lucky winners. <laughs> I would have done this at one time. Okay, I, I wrote down, here's some ingredients in Lucky Charms. Let's start with the cereal part. Whole grain, oats, sugar, oat flour, corn syrup, cornstarch, salt, trisodium phosphate, color added, natural and artificial flavor, mixed tosopharous, whatever that is. It's a disease, I think. Corn syrup, confectionery coating, sugar, palm, kernel oil, maltodextrin, yogurt power, powder. Okay, that's good. That's probably good. Uh, Non-fat milk, soy, lecithin. Okay, that's just that's the cereal. Marshmallows. They have sugar, modified cornstarch, corn syrup, dextrose, gelatin, calcium. Oh, good calcium. Uh, carbonate, colored with yellow five and six, blue one, red forty, artificial flavor. Then you have crisp rice, uh, blah, blah, blah. It has some vitamins. You might be interested. It has calcium, carbonate, zinc, iron, vitamin C, B vitamin, vitamin B6, vitamin B2, vitamin B1, vitamin A, 
B vitamin, folic acid, vitamin B12, vitamin D3. They are magically delicious. That's the only thing I can say. Um, but I want you to see kind of how temptation works using my lucky charms. Um, the first thing that happens is you have a thought. And so every morning I would wake up and I'd have a thought. Hurry up and go to breakfast. You're going to have lucky charms. That's when the sin starts because somewhere after the thought, there's the imagination how good this is going to be. It's going to be good. Then you have this justification. Well, you know, I haven't had any since yesterday. I need to have some more. It's, 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 you know, I need nourishment before I go into my day. And then you have a choice. Am I going to eat this or not? And then you have sin. And then you feel bad. And you say, I'm never going to do it again until the next morning. It all starts all over. Take the same thing, the same idea with alcohol addiction or any other kind of lust. Okay, so, so you have this thought, is that a sin? And the, the answer to that question is, and, and I really want you to understand this, that's not a sin. That is Satan. That's exactly what he does. And sometimes... It's, it's like that strategy. It just comes by surprise. Where did that come from? You know, you, you uh, see something on TV or you see something on the Internet and you were, you were looking for, uh, you know, lucky charms. And all of a sudden, boom, there's something. It could be a drink. It could be, a, you know, whatever it is. You take, the thought is not the problem. The problem comes next with imagination. Imagination is what we do with the thought. What if? Justification follows that. Justification says, well, my husband's been ignoring me, or my wife hasn't met my needs, or my boss has been so cruel, and so I'm justified. And then we make a choice. And by that time, the whole thing's going downhill because we've lost. We've lost at the imagination, and then the process just keeps on going. And, and so we get to the justification, well, I should do this because, and we can fill in the blank, and then we get to the choice, okay, I'm going to do this, and then the sin occurs, and then we feel bad. We talked about this. We, we feel bad, and then we might say, God, help me. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to, and then we're fine until the thought comes. And then it's the imagination. And you can see how the circle works. And, and so whatever, you know, I don't, I don't have to say a whole lot, do I? Because whatever it is that you have not found freedom from, you can put it in this matrix and you will see exactly how it works for you. And it's the same for everybody. That's why I love what Paul said. You're not going through anything that others don't experience. It's just that the, the, the elements used are different, right? And so what are the patterns? What, what, what is the issue and what are we doing with it? And I can tell you this, what happens in the first moments of temptation is more important than you might ever think. Because typically the way we fight our battles is not at the front end. We don't engage or think we should engage until we're two or three levels in on this. And we're not prepared. If you, if you know that you have an enemy, if you're a country and you know you have an enemy... You know, we're, we're going through all this stuff with North Korea. You don't sit around and wait till the missile's fired before you do anything, right? So we are trusting that our government is preparing 
for that mess. Well, it's the same way we fight a battle spiritually. You don't do it after the missile's been sent, after the attack is on full blast. You have to be prepared early. You have, you know, those of you who are dating, who, who want to remain sexually pure, which the Bible teaches and we want to do, you don't wait until you're in the middle of the, 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 te- the huge test to make decisions about how you want to live. You pre-plan. Here's where I want to be. Because every step after that requires that your plan is implemented. There's a... <clears throat> So I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of share with you about how that works. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, there's this very interesting interchange. You've, you may, if you've read this, you may have read it before, never given this any thought, but this is so big. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, this was before the battle of Jericho, he looked up, he was, he was probably walking down the road, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Now this is... He, he, it just looks like a man. He's got a sword. And Joshua went up to him and it says, he demanded, are you friend or foe? Not a bad question if you're going to fight in a battle. If you're in a foreign land, that's a good question. Are you a friend or a foe? Now the answer is very interesting and it's a key to everything I'm sharing today, the answer was this. This guy says, neither one. I'm not a friend. I'm not a foe. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And it says that this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Now, it's just an interesting little section. What does it mean? First of all, there are a couple things going on here. Let me tell you who this was as best as I can. The commander of the Lord's army was one of two things. It was either God in the flesh through Jesus. Now, this was way before Jesus. But Jesus, remember, Jesus was from the beginning. John taught us that. He, he was from the very beginning of time. They call that a Christophany. It's when, when, when Jesus shows up on earth in a vision. And it's a very powerful thing. It's either a Christophany where Jesus shows up or an archangel of some type. But we know this, it was a divine moment and it was a spiritual moment and God was showing up. He was making a statement. And here's Joshua, the commander of the Israelites, looking at this guy and says, are you a friend or foe? Because I need to know how to deal with this. And God speaks and he says, I'm neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And you know what he was saying right there? He was saying, Joshua, dude, it is not about you. It is about me. And you need to answer the question, are you a friend or a foe? You see, what we do, we get into these, these life issues and these temptations and these situations and we, we're like, oh God, please come and help me. And God's saying, look, you're wanting me to come be your friend. And I'm not your friend. I'm the commander of all. And he's basically looking at you and saying, whose side are you on? We've been violating principles in our life and thinking that God will help us 
And could you please be on my side? Now, I don't, don't get the wrong thing. Jesus is a friend to everybody. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't love us. I'm saying we got things turned around. It's, we think it's about us. But it's not. It's about God. And this is where it comes to play in our lives. Here's how to fight temptation. And I want you to do this through the prism of what I've just told you. James 4, 7 says this. Surrender to God. Resist the devil and he will run from you. So the first way that you fight temptation, number one, is surrender to God. This is what Joshua was doing. He was the commander of the Israelites. He had millions of people following him. And in this moment, he hit the floor. He hit the ground. I surrender to you, God. What do you want me to do? We think that God will be our friend, and he'll come alongside. We can keep living our life the way that we want, and he's going to step in and make everything better. That is not how it works. It does not work that way. And I think, I know in my life, as I look back on the times when I was going through some things that I just thought were insurmountable, and and where was God, I could go back to the core of my life and realize I had not surrendered to him. I had not made him the commander of my life. I had, I, I had my own life, my own plans, my own dreams. So here's what I am learning to do. And I say learning because I still need to do this every day. It never changes. I, I, I look at, at, at what I need to do with my quiet time with God in the mornings. It's kind of like the manna that's given to us. You only get enough for a day, right? And, and, and that's the way our life needs to be with God. And, and every day, it's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of handing everything to God. And so God, today, I give you my mind. I, I want you to Control my mind. Help me to control this mind, Lord. I'm going to think on things today that are pure. I'm going to think on things that are about what you want me to do. I'm going to think about things, everything I have to do today. I'm going to run it through the prism of you and your mind and your will. God, I'm going to give you my eyes. I surrender my eyes today. I'm not going to look at the crud that destroys. I'm not going to look at things that are going to feed the things that need to be starved. God, I'm going to give you my ears. I refuse to sit around and listen to all the things that are being said. You know, one of, the, one of the worst things going on in our society right now with all the race issues and the political issues is, is the news, fake or not. We just feed on it. We hear it. We listen to it. And it starts to create a paradigm for us to live by. Whatever, wherever you fall. And, and, and then we want God to come in and be on our side. Are we crazy? This is God. And I don't care what news channel you listen to, they're not God. I'm, i got to quit or I'll go off on a whole other thing. My mouth. God, I surrender my mouth. This is the hardest surrender for me. I'm a motor mouth. And I'll talk and I'll share opinions that I don't even think I have. (laughs) You know, I was in a meeting not too long ago and I I, I interrupted people like three or four times and I'm like, what an idiot. And when I interrupted them and said something, it was stupid. What is that? You know, God, I surrender my mouth. You know, I'm just going to help me shut up. You know, God, I surrender my my hands, what I do. I surrender my heart. 
I surrender my feet where I go. I just want to be totally surrendered. You're first. You're God. You're the commander. You're everything. I need to chill, God. I need you to be God. I need to follow your agenda, not try to get you to help me with mine. We surrender to God. Number two, resist the devil. The life of a Christ follower. How am I doing on time? Okay, I'm good. Be done in about an hour. Um, <clears throat> the life of the Christ follower, this, this is so important. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. If you think this is just fun, you don't understand. You're in war. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. You don't argue with Satan or you'll lose. You don't play around with temptation. Oh, I can do this. I can do that. You know, it's okay. I, I remember when the whole church, you know, not our church, I'm talking about the church in general, began to talk about grace and God's grace and his forgiveness. Well, then we can go do this and this and this. And Listen, you, Satan's older than you. He's smarter than you. You don't mess around. You don't play around with sin potentials. You go ballistic, actually, the other way. Now, I'm pretty sure <clears throat> that I have an addictive personality. I'm pretty sure just the way I live my life. And, and because of that, in advance, I have to take things away from me. I have to get aggressive and take things away from me, things that are messing me up in my life. I have to take them away because... I can't let Satan use them as a pawn in my destruction. I'm wanting to be free. I want to live the life that God has given me. I want to make a difference in the world. And I can't give pieces of me away to things that are just stupid and ridiculous and counterproductive to me falling before the commander of the Lord's army. So, number three, it makes me do this. I have to go on the offensive. I have to go on the offensive. I want to give you this thing. You've heard it two weeks now. Week number three, what you feed grows what you starve dies. Proverbs 4 says this, <clears throat> don't do as the wicked do. And don't follow the path of evildoers. Evil don't think about it. Don't even think about it. Don't go that way. Turn away and keep moving. So my question to you today is you look at your life and where you are and what you struggle with, what can you do right now to clean up the pathway in front of you? What is it that you could remove, that you could clean it up so you don't travel that way anymore? You don't even look at it. Do you need to turn your computer around so that the monitor faces everybody in the building? Little things like that. What, what are you hiding? Do you need to have somebody be attached to your Internet, and there are tools that do this, they're all over the place, where whatever you go to online or your phone or your iPad, whatever, whatever you use, your smartphone, it sends a notice to a friend. It says, hey, guess what Greg's looking at? And it needs to be a friend who will have the courage to call you up and say, dude, what are you doing? Do you need to do something? It's not that ridiculous. It's not about you, is it? It's, it's about what God wants to do in you. Do I need to submit my calendar or checkbook to someone? Do I go to places <clears throat> that just do nothing but mess me up? If you struggle with alcohol, 
Why are you going to bars? You might have a job that says, man, happy hour. Everybody's expected to be there because that's where business is done. You need to change jobs if that's the case. If you're in a job and, and there's a temptation that could destroy your marriage there, you need to leave your job. You say, well, what do I do? Get another job. That's what you need to do. Where you don't have to deal with this disaster before it gets out of control. Don't play around. Don't mess around. This is, this is serious stuff. Paul actually gave us some great stuff. And I just, got, I just read this all from, from uh, Rick Warren's daily devotional. It was out of Ephesians 16. He says, here's, here's what you do with temptation. Number one, uh, you put on, the salvation, put on salvation as your helmet and you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In other words... For those of you who don't have that relationship, who don't know God, you start there and you invite Christ into your heart and then you take God's word and use it as your protector. So one of the things that we all need to do is memorize scripture. It doesn't have to be long. Start with Jesus wept. That's the smallest verse in the Bible, just, just Jesus wept. And then you can go where you want to with that. Is he weeping because of what I'm doing or what, you know, what's going on here? But just memorize scripture. You might be in a place where you're getting ready to take a drink. Jesus wept. I don't want that, you know. It's totally out of context, but it works, trust me. Well, you can't try. I, didn't, I haven't tried that. I don't know. But here's something else that you can do to go on the offensive. Is join a life group. And I want to bring our team out for a moment. We're going to talk about this because um, this is huge. This is huge in fighting temptation. So uh, you're on first. All right. Uh, so we have three different kinds of life groups that you can sign up for. And the first is a first-base group, which is based off of interests. Um, so it's not your typical life group because, uh, you know, you can go hiking in one of these groups or you can play board games with other people. And the reason that we do this is because uh, every single person in life needs to be known and they need to be accepted. They need to be known for who they really are and accepted for who they really are. But so many times what we do is we, we have these secrets that Pastor Greg was talking about and we keep them to ourselves and we live in isolation. And we allow the enemy to, um, to tell us that, that, that we are nothing, that we are our sins. There's a saying that says that uh, Satan knows your name but he calls you by your sins, but God knows your sins but calls you by your name. And so what these first base groups, uh, what, what they do is that you are able to be around people that actually get to know you for who you really are, and then you find people who will accept you for who you really are, which isn't a fake perception. They actually know your sins, they know your faults, they know your struggles, yet they actually accept you for who you really are. And so in these groups, the, the main purpose is just to simply know God and and through that, know other people. Get into community with other people. Um, when it comes to temptation, you have to have people in your life who will um, accept you for who you re really are and who will keep you accountable. And so if you're in an area of your life where you know, man, I just don't really have good Christian people in my life, um, but I'm not really ready to sit down and talk through a, a study or, or go through something, um, these groups would be perfect for you. 
I really want to encourage you, find something that you're passionate about in one of these groups and join those groups. And what we do is we take purpose, uh, we take your passions and we put purpose behind them to where you simply get to know other people and they will know who you really are. But the amazing thing is that they will see your mess ups, they'll see the true you, they'll see you with your mask off and they will accept you and they will love you. And this will lead to you operating in a different way to where you're no longer... um, known by your sin, but you're known by your name, who you really are, and who yeah. you're called to be. Yep. So second base groups are basically the same thing, only with just um, a little bit of a difference. And so we still want these groups, people to come together, to find community, to find a family, find relationships so that they are known. But I wrote my message notes out here because um, just what Pastor Greg said, in the very beginning of his message notes, the three strategies that Satan uses to tell you it's too strong. Um, but when you're in a group, you have people that are standing alongside you, that you're not alone, that they're going to encourage you in your strength to beat this temptation. Um, if, keep it, sorry, let's keep it a secret. Um, when you're in a community, when you're in a group, it's not a secret. I, I think that the enemy works in the dark mm-hmm. and loves it when you don't keep, when you keep it a secret and you don't bring it to light because that's when God can really use it and heal you of it and use it to help you help other people. And then, um, I didn't see that coming. It's a surprise. You have people around you that are going to tell you, hey, I see this in your life, and I want to help you so this, that that doesn't play out to harm you or your family or yeah. people that are close to you. So what makes these second-based groups just a little bit different is they focus on that temptation that you have in your life. They help you deal with that stronghold that might be crippling you, um, but you're in a community, you're in a family, and they're going to stand by you. Yeah. Life groups are so amazing, you guys. We've been doing this, you know, coming out on stage for a few weeks now and kind of walking you through these bases. And so I think it might be easy to kind of sit back and, and maybe, you know, kind of miss the importance of what we're trying to convey. And I love how, you know, Brody was talking about first base groups, which is just an easy entry, an open door to walk in, have some fun, and meet some people. And Grace was saying you can take some intentional, you know, decisions and join a group dealing with finance or marriage or parenting. But at third base, I love this base because the point of groups isn't so you can, like, sit there and focus on your issues, focus on your stuff, and just get in a little pity party and say, man, you guys, we all have the same struggles. I guess we just got to link arms and wait till the Lord come back or wait till we die. And, you know, the point is we can live in victory. We can overcome. We don't have to stay where we are. We can link arms, encourage one another, hold each other accountable. And at third base, it gets so fun because of, instead of having the group focus be inward, which was, is amazing, we can come together for fellowship or come together for discipleship. At third base, we take the focus and we turn it outwards. How can God use the things that have happened in my past, happened in my life, the mess-ups, all this stuff, how can he use that to bring glory and and to, to himself. And so we can, we can start an outreach opportunity on Saturdays. We've told you almost every week we've got Saturday serve happening. We're over on Plaza Street. We're kicking soccer balls and throwing frisbees and painting faces with children and families and parents. And we're just saying, you know what? God loves you. You're amazing. And we can say that because we've experienced that. We've kind of come through this progression. And so I guess the point of today is that don't sit there and think, man, I'm still not sure about groups. I want to just challenge 
challenge you. At the end of today, we're going to have a life group fair in the back, which means that all of the groups that we're offering this fall semester, all of the leaders will be at the back representing their group. And you can stop by, meet the leaders, get some information about their group, and sign up and show up and experience the life change that happens when you connect to other people. So I want to just kind of give you a shove, kick, whatever I need to do to get you guys to come back there, shake some hands, and join a group this fall. And guys, these are not linear, linear in terms of uh, you've got to start here, here, and here. You can start anywhere you want. Just, just show up. That, 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 that's really going to help you. So, yeah. hey, these guys have been doing this for four weeks. Every time it's great. Thank you guys so much. Awesome. <clears throat> now, I know how this, I know this whole sermon thing and how it works. I, I'm not deluded. I, I know that by this evening, most of you will forget everything that I've said. Uh, you know, I, it's just going to happen, except for the, the lucky charms. You're going to remember that until Monday. And, and there's an, and any other great jokes that I share, because I really have great jokes. And, and you'll remember that, but you're not going to remember anything else. By Tuesday, I don't remember what I said. And, and I'd probably tell you that I didn't say half the stuff that I've said. So um, that's how this works. The only thing that's going to change anything is if you begin to take some action and begin to apply these to your life. So every week I'm giving you action steps. I'm giving you things to think about, things that you need to be doing. Obviously, joining a life group is huge for us here because everything, as Grace said, everything that we're dealing with, we can, we can find part of the answer just by being with other people. But here's something else I want you to do right now. Uh, not now, but you, you can do it now or you can take it home. You can think about this. Sometime you're sitting around this afternoon uh, just, just write this down. What are your two biggest temptations? What are the two things that you struggle with the most? You know, is it, it could be lying. You, you, you're so insecure and you just create your own world that people might like. It could be, I mean, things like that, that we, we you know, for the most part, nobody else knows about. What, what, what are the two biggest things? And then taking the, the Joshua picture of what we do, of making God the commander of the Lord. Well, we don't make him. He is, but we recognize it. The part about surrendering to God and resisting Satan and going on the offensive. My question would be this. Is what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Is this going to go in one ear and out the other? Could you possibly make a shift today to let God change your life and set you free?